This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone. This is Alejandro Suniga over at the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com, kicking off another season of Behind Enemy Lines. Now, if you're new to this show... Behind Enemy Lines is where we take an in-depth look at the Michigan football team's upcoming opponent for the week. So, of course, we're kicking off this week with the East Carolina Pirates. New to the show, though, is that every single week we are going to be talking to a beat reporter from the Ohio State Buckeyes and a beat reporter from Michigan State, the Spartans, so that throughout the season, Michigan fans know what the rivals are doing, know what the big storylines are, and know what to expect come late October, and of course, the game in late November. Very excited to be bringing back this show, going to be bigger and better than ever. Thank you so much for listening. Let's dive right in. I've got on the line today, Stephen Igo. Stephen covers the East Carolina Pirates over at Hoist the Colors, our 24-7 affiliate. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just glad we we made it to game week, and it's finally here. It's uh been a long and a bit for offseason as i'm sure you can relate absolutely not just at michigan but across across college football right uh, but for michigan this year is a big one there are undoubtedly national championship aspirations uh so i i'm, I'm just excited for there to be football right there's there's going to be a football game this saturday at michigan stadium noon on peacock uh <laughs> or or in person uh maybe better to be there in person um, but, but Steven, you just mentioned it's been a, it's been an exciting off season. So, so why don't you take me into that a little bit? It, it seems like East Carolina, if you're a Michigan fan looking at the pirates, you see their record last year and you think, okay, this is, this is a solid program. And, and certainly East Carolina is known as giant killers, uh, for the past few years, but it's been a, it's been an off season of a lot of departures, right? So, so take me into what the off season has been like for the pirates. Yeah, they definitely they they've lost a lot of key pieces from last year in terms of proven experience. Uh, I do think overall, top to bottom, the roster is as talented as it's been under Mike Houston. But you know, until the guys go out and do it on a game day, and until they go out and do it in front of a hundred eight thousand people, uh, it's kind of hard to, to bank on. But we can get into that later. I mean, the, the quarterback Holt Naylor, who had been with East Carolina. Uh, as a starting quarterback, basically for the last four years, he is now with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, c- competing to make their roster potentially. Uh, Keaton Mitchell, back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher, he is with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Isaiah Winstead, 1,000-yard receiver, is with the San Francisco 49ers, uh, at least as as of the time of this recording. So, you've got several guys who who played key roles last year who are now in the NFL, and you know last year was kind of a it was a successful season for ECU under Mike Houston. They, they won their first bowl game since 2013. They've kind of resurrected the program to what ECU fans expect it to be, competing for bowl games, maybe competing for the upper half of the American year in and year out. But, you know, th- they missed some opportunities last year. They, they should have beaten NC State in the opener 
Uh, they should have won against Navy. Missed kicks really cost them at times. And so they almost could have had double-digit wins last year instead, finished with eight, which is not bad compared to where they've been recently. But the toughest thing now is, all right, you got to put that behind you because you got all this talent moving on or all this proven experience moving on. And specifically on the offense, four offensive linemen are gone from last year's starting group. Two have transferred to Auburn and Oregon, respectively. So there's no doubt, you know, they had the talent last year. And I think they have the talent this year to, to you know, maybe even, you know, replace some, some, you know, better speed at receiver than last year. Their quarterback stepping in should have a bigger arm and a higher ceiling. But the problem is you don't have the experience. So there's also a lot of unknowns. Yeah, let's start with that quarterback, right? Because certainly you just mentioned there was a lot of talent there last year and across the offense too. Uh, But the guy who's been waiting in the wings, Mason Garcia, I'm not sure if he's officially been named the starter, but he's certainly the guy that everyone expects to see on Saturday, right? He was a highly rated prospect. He has been with the program for a couple of years. He's been waiting his turn. When he steps onto the football field at the big house on Saturday, well, what, what do you expect we'll see from him? What are the sort of things he brings to the table? So Mason Garcia, from a physical perspective, if you could draw up a quarterback, you could not draw up a better looking like quarterback prospect. I mean, he's 6'5", 250. He can run. He can make any throw on the field. And, he, you know, he came to East Carolina. Honestly, if he, if he would have had the, the, the best academic standing possible to high school, he probably would be playing somewhere in the SEC. I mean, he's got that type of ability. The problem is he got behind on his schoolwork early in his high school career. ECU kind of took a chance on him, stood by him. He was a four-star recruit by 24-7 sports at the time of his signing. Um, And so he's got the ability. Now, the issue is, A, he hasn't played. B, uh, you know, from the the standpoint of understanding what defenses are trying to throw at him is the the biggest area he's got to improve on. And that comes with – playing obviously I mean ECU's defense does a lot in practice they're very multiple they do a lot of blitzing a lot of mixing coverages so he sees a lot of different stuff in practice and uh you know at times he looks great at times he's been inconsistent and so now it's just hey he's got to go out there and he's got to make the plays uh you know on game day and there will be some ups and downs for sure early in the year I do think once all said and done Mason Garcia has the chance to be a really good quarterback at ECU it's just how is he going to handle this early part of the season, uh, the schedule early? Like, I mean, there's a chance he could go out there after waiting three years and really learning that he that he doesn't have too many hurdles to overcome. But realistically, any first time starting quarterback is going to have some ups and downs, some plays where you're like, wow, like this kid's really talented, but also plays you're like, wow, what the heck is he doing? So it's I think you're going to have to take the good and the bad if you're an East Carolina fan and hope he grows from it early in the season. But he can run, man. He's a legit dual threat. He's physical. Uh, I think he's going to make some big throws down the field, and it's just a matter of how quickly it comes together for him. You talk about him being a dual threat quarterback. You also talked about there being quite a bit of turnover on that offensive line, right? And you know, when you're coming into the big house facing a team like Michigan, Michigan is a program that has built itself on the trenches. It built itself on, on winning uh, both sides of the ball uh, in the trenches. Well, what does that offensive line look like? I mean, realistically, is this offensive line for East Carolina, is it a unit that's going to be able to withstand a Michigan defensive line, that edge room? Uh, or you, like you mentioned, there was talent there last year. Is that same, that same level of talent waiting in the wings? I think they they have talent and they're pretty big up front. The thing I can, I'm concerned about if I'm ECU is, 
you know, offensive tackle, which I guess is everybody's concern, really. I mean, you just can't find enough offensive tackles. And I'm sure Michigan is in a much better standing than most, just given their pedigree of producing offensive linemen. But, like, interior-wise, I think they're pretty good. They do have a new center, Avery Jones, transferred to to Auburn after first transferring to Illinois or committing there. Then he got a bigger NIL opportunity at Auburn, so he's there now. We can get into that discussion a whole other, a whole other show. But either way – you know, they've got good size and they've got guys who have been in the program. And then they've kind of supplemented that with transfers. Like they got a new offensive line coach because their former offensive line coach uh, pretty much stepped back, kind of retired from coaching. He's still with the program, but they brought in Alan Mogridge from USF. He brought basically his starting offensive lineman, Dustin Hall, with him. And Hall might open the season as a starting center. So he's got multiple years of starting experience. They feel pretty good about some of the young guards. Parker Moore, who's a West Virginia transfer, should play left tackle. Right tackle is kind of a question mark. So, for me, you know, can they hold up against Michigan? I I don't know. I mean, I I think interior-wise they can hold their own. I'm a little worried about tackle. They do have, you know, some older guys there, like third, fourth, fifth-year players. It's just, you know, can they – like you mentioned, that edge room, some of the guys who are going to be rolled in and out there, like the speed off the edge kind of worries me if I'm ECU – and so if you're the Pirates, how do you game plan to kind of slow that down? Of course, you want to establish the run, but how realistic is that? Do you run the quarterback more? They're, they're just going to have to get creative and maybe get the tight end to help, uh, get the running backs to help chipping off the edge because offensive tackle, I think, is a little bit of a concern of mine. And certainly last year, one of the ways you game plan around aligned efficiencies, you get the ball quickly to your skill positions, right? You mentioned Keaton Mitchell a couple thousand yard wide receivers and Isaiah Winstead and CJ Johnson this year with those departures, who are the skill position players out, you know, outside of Mason Garcia at quarterback, who are the guys that Michigan fans should be keeping their eyes on? So the running back room is pretty deep. They don't have Mr. Lightning, Keaton Mitchell, who was just a threat to go anytime he touched the ball, you know, for legitimate four, three speed. So that's going to be missed. They did bring in a freshman Javius Bond, who I expect to play. I don't know how much quickly, but he was a pretty highly rated recruit. They flipped him from Memphis late. He's kind of had a big offseason. He got in in January, so he's kind of had time to learn the offense. He'll probably be more of their big play candidate, but they return Rajay Harris, who's more of a downhill physical back. He was the co-rookie of the year in the American in 2020. He is coming off knee surgery, but he's looked great in preseason camp. Marlon Gunn uh, is a physical presence, a running back, you know, six foot, uh, 210 pounds, really good downhill runner they added Gerald Green from Georgia Southern who's got over 1500 yards rushing in his career so like they've they're legitimate four deep I think at running back how the offensive line performs obviously will be critical and then the big question is receiver two 1000 yard receivers gone I do think they are faster and more explosive this year at receiver I just don't know if they have the possession guys Uh, they did move Jalen Johnson who played outside last year. He's moved into the slot, and he had, I think, near 400, 500 yards receiving last year as a Georgia transfer. And he's if he stays healthy, he'll probably be one of their number one targets. They return tight end Shane Calhoun, who's a very solid tight end, more of a possession guy. And then they got like two or three just speed guys on the outside led by Josiah Hatfield, Kerry King, who are, you know, kind of deep threats. And then the big question is who's going to be that big guy, you know, like that 6'3", 50-50 ball type receiver, they added three transfers. They brought back Jarrett Garner, who's a 6'3 guy. And so they've got like four dudes who are 6'3", 200 pounds, but none of them have really separated themselves. 
who among that group is going to step up on game day? I don't know. I guess we're about to find out. I'm, I'm sure we will. And, uh, you know, for a Michigan secondary that uh, is a, a little bit banged up, Will Johnson, the, you know, the freshman phenom is a bit banged up he- heading into the season. Michigan's been looking for a second cornerback and, and that battle may go into the season uh, in terms of opponents, non-conference opponents that Michigan's facing. It seems like East Carolina is the one that's going to be the stiffest challenge, but let, let's flip sides to the defensive side of the ball. I'd, I'd love to get just a, a big picture overview of what the pirates kind of present on defense because, you know, Michigan returns so much of its offensive skill positions from last year returns much of its offensive line has fortified has fortified that offensive line with some transfers. Uh, but then obviously you've got JJ uh, McCarthy back at for second year at quarterback. You've got the backfield of Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum. So, so Michigan fans are very excited about that offense defensively. What are they going to be facing? So ECU's defense is interesting because they, you know, they're extremely multiple. Like I've asked the defensive coordinator, what would you describe your scheme as? And it can be a three, four, four, two, five, three, three, five, depending on how they line up, because they basically have the four down guys, but you know, the fourth one is an out, outside linebacker who stands up and he can drop into coverage. He can play on the line. He can cover the slot. So it's very multiple and where they get some teams in the trouble is they like to stunt a lot up front just before the snap. They like to do a lot of movements um, and, and, they do kind of thrive on creating pressure, created turnovers. They are more of a, in the past at least, under Blake Carroll, the defensive coordinator, they've been more of a a big play opportunistic defense. You know, the flip side of that is they have given up too many explosive plays, whether due to busted coverages, uh, bringing blitzes and getting beat on those, uh, et cetera. So the, and the big issue last year was they actually stopped the run at a really good rate. They were top 20 in the country in run defense, but they just got absolutely torched through the air. And so what they did this offseason is pretty much they returned almost the entire defensive front, and then they they kind of lost via graduation slash transfers their, you know, most of their their back half of the defense, which may be a bad thing or may not, depending on how you look at it. So they brought in a lot of transfers, and then they have a bunch of younger guys who have been developing who who are longer, faster players. The problem is, like I said earlier, they just don't have the experience. So Again, I think realistically they're more talented defensively on the back half, and they're solid in the front four. Uh, they, they're very deep. They're pretty much three deep at every defensive line position. Uh, I, my thing is, do they have this standout, game-changing defensive player? Uh, that I don't know. Like safety Julius Wood, you know, he he's an all-conference caliber player. Florida actually tried to get him in the portal, and there was a whole stick about that. Basically, ECU turned them in for trying to do that. So he's still at ECU. He's an Ohio guy, so I'm sure he'll be fired up for uh, for this game uh, on on Saturday. But you know, they they brought in a four star transfer or a four star recruit uh, who they flipped from Miami, Antoine Jackson. Is he going to play in this opener? I think he will play. I just don't know how much. So they've got talent. It's just there's moving parts, and when there's moving parts against such an experienced offense, you worry about giving up the big plays. But of course, the key will be can ECU slow down that Michigan running game, which we all know extremely good with a dominant offensive line and two really good backs. Well, it's been a, it's been a long off season and a lot of time to think about this game to, to count down, count down the days for this game. And, you know, we're single digits away for, from actually seeing football. So Steven, I'm just curious. It, it sounds like you're pretty optimistic uh, about this football team, despite everything that it's replaced this off season, 
when you're watching the game this Saturday, what what do you want to see from East Carolina? What do you expect you're going to see? What what are some keys for the Pirates to keep this close, to potentially pull off an upset, or to keep things interesting at the big house? You know, I, I am. I, I do think that the program's in a good spot at ECU. You know, you got a, a stable coaching staff and a, a staff that's recruited and developed. And, you know, by year five, they've been able to kind of weed out the players they don't want, keep the players they do want. I mean, they very rarely have lost players to the transfer portal, unlike this this past offseason when they lost the two offensive linemen, I think, which is a blow. But like, I think the team's in a good spot, and, and it's just – can they withstand for me the, the early part of Saturday's game? Like, are they just going to get lost in the environment and just make uncharacteristic mistakes that lead to either turnovers or, you know, big plays defensively. If they make those mistakes, if they give up a big play on special teams, like it, you know, if you're a huge underdog and you don't make those routine plays or make those, those big errors, it's going to get out of hand quickly. So for me, the first quarter is going to be critical. Like can ECU keep it within a score or two at the end of one. If you're down 21 nothing or 14 nothing at the end of a quarter, it could get away from you quickly. Of course, they got to find a way to, to create some turnovers or create an explosive play on special teams themselves. Um, I don't think ECU will go in intimidated. You know, this is a program that historically kind of plays well as an underdog with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, they've beaten Miami, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, some of the, the bigger programs in the Southeast. Obviously, going up to Michigan and, and competing is a – is a tall task. Everybody knows that they're 35 point underdogs for a reason. Um, so it's going to take a special effort just to have a shot in the second half. But, you know, to me, end of the day, you got to stop the run defensively to have a shot or at least slow it down. And then offensively, you got to get good quarterback play. And that's a major question mark, uh, especially with an inexperienced quarterback. So uh, we'll find out a lot this Saturday, how much, I don't know, but we'll at least know a little bit more about East Carolina by the end of uh, Saturday. There it is, game. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking us behind enemy lines. Uh, where can people who want to follow follow you and learn more about East Carolina work? Where, where can they do that? So check us out. Uh, obviously, on the twenty four seven Sports Network, hoistthecolors.net, a great network of team sites. You know, like uh, the Michigan Insider. So um, definitely check us out. Hoist the colors for the ECU side of things. Heading into game day. We do have a local radio show here in Greenville, North Carolina, that will have 12 noon to 1 daily, 94.3 the game. We'll have coverage uh, leading up to the, the season opener as well. If Michigan fans want to tune into that, we'll be talking Michigan all week long. So uh, obviously on Twitter as well, at Stephen Igo, P-H, and the last name is I-G-O-E, all one word, and at HTC247 for our Hoist the Colors account. Stephen, thank you so much. Been reading Hoist the Colors all week, and you guys do a fantastic job over there. We're going to hit a quick break, but when we're back, we'll be talking Michigan State and Ohio State. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider, Michigan.247sports.com. As I teased before, not only are we doing behind enemy lines with the upcoming opponent this week, uh, but we'll be talking to Michigan State and Ohio State beat writers every single week to get you guys prepared for those rivalry games. Let's kick things off with my conversation with MSU beat writer Stephen Brooks, who covers the Spartans over at Spartan Tailgate, part of the 24-7 network. Stephen, how are you doing? Happy football season. You too, man. Uh, it's, it's getting real. Uh, I'm excited. I'll be out the gates a day early with this Friday kickoff, but uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm really, I think I feel like a lot like the players. I'm, I'm really just ready for some real football and some real games and some different angles and storylines and different things to, to look at and talk about. Um, I think we've exhausted, as I'm sure you can relate. I think we've exhausted so many of the preseason storylines and talking points. Let's, let's just kick the ball off and, and, and get going here. Yeah. I mean, people talk about fall camp and all the players go through, but really it's us, the media who go through the worst of it. Um, absolutely. so <laughs> absolutely. People need to know that. I'm glad you brought that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, all kidding aside, uh, well, let's talk a bit about that off season for the Spartans because I mean, from the outside, right. It's Michigan state certainly performed below expectations a bit last year. Uh, and then at least from an outsider's perspective, you know, the big off season news from Michigan state is you see Peyton Thorne transferring Keon Coleman transferring, uh, and in addition to some NFL departures, I know Michigan State under Mel Tucker has built its program through the transfer portal, but maybe outside of those two or, or including those two, like what, what are some of the big changes that have occurred within the Spartans program this offseason? Yeah, those are definitely the two of the biggest headlines. Um, now, I, I, would, I don't put them on the same plane. I know when, when you just see two-year starting quarterback leaves the program, you know, a lot of people might go, whoa. But, you know, Peyton Thorne had one good year um, playing alongside Kenneth Walker and, and benefiting a lot from play action and, and all of that, all the benefits that come with playing with a, you know, a Heisman type of player. Uh, so um, that's not to say, you know, he had no he had nothing to do with his success and or the team success in 21. I mean, he was very sharp, um, very risk averse and whatnot, set the school record with single season touchdown passes with 27. Uh, but last year just wasn't wasn't it didn't cut it. You know, so so your sample size is one one good year, one bad year. And I don't know, you know, I never thought he was the highest ceiling guy uh, from a physical standpoint necessarily. And, uh, you know, there's other quarterbacks on the roster that, that folks wanted to see. Now, you know, is, was Michigan State going to be their best with him under center this year? Maybe that's possible. But I just I don't think it's a ground shaking loss that, that that you might expect when you see who your starting quarterback leaves the program. Um, now, look, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what type of quarterback play they get this year. Um, I think that's a very valid question as we move into the season. But Keon Coleman, to me, was the was the major blow uh, personnel wise. They did lose a, a ton of other guys like every program. You know, there's that natural churn now uh, with the roster. But Keon Coleman was far and away the most important loss because he was the guy that they could go into any game, I thought. I mean, I, I think he's a he's a for sure a future NFL player. I think he could maybe push for an All-American type of season this year. And he's got a talented team down there. That, you know, And what his target share looks like, I, I don't know. But his, his talent is through the roof, um, just raw ability-wise. And he was that guy, even against Michigan, even against Ohio State, Penn State, the, the, the more uh, talented teams they play, they, they, they would face. He was a guy that you could at least go into a game and say, he's our difference maker. He's going to give everybody problems. 
Um, I mean, we saw that against Michigan last year, right? He was kind of their whole offense for for the stretches that the offense was working. Um, so that lowered their ceiling tremendously offensively. Uh, and so they don't, I think, at this point, have a star offensively or just that guy or that thing that they can hang their head on. I think it's going to be a, a they're going to be finding their identity a little bit offensively early in the year. And then I'll just quickly say a coaching staff as well. When you look at the whole offseason, they lost uh, Brandon Jordan, their pass rush specialist. He went to the Seattle Seahawks after one year. And Marco Coleman, their defensive line coach, went back to Georgia Tech after one year. Uh, they brought in Dyron Reynolds, who, has been, who had been at Stanford for several years, um, had worked at Oklahoma for a season, uh, been in the NFL, a couple of different stops, you know, 20-year veteran guy. So he's the D-line coach now. Um, and that's uh, that's that main, you know that, that offseason coaching news. So both those guys were good recruiters. And, you you know, Brandon Jordan is a real proven guy with what he does with pass rush. So I think losing him after a year is tough. Uh, he made an immediate impact on recruiting. And I think long, you know, you'd hope to keep him around longer to, to see the fruit on field in terms of what he does and developing that specific skill. But uh, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the headlines of of who's coming and going. And then, you know, the result is, is quite a few questions, I think, coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, it's never a quiet off season in college football uh, for any major program. And, and particularly now when you have the transfer portal, right. Is uh, there's just, there's always something going on. Uh, you, you talk about the ceiling for the offense, potentially being lowered, particularly by the departure of Keon Coleman. Uh, I know the Spartans, you know, coming into a game on Friday, it sounds like there's been no named quarterback uh, for that game. If, if I'm reading all the coverage correctly. Um, so I guess between, between Kim and Hauser, like, what do each of them bring to the table? I, I I know even Mel Tucker was hesitant in answering that question uh, this week. And then what are sort of like the weapons around either of them, whoever it ends up being, uh, that Michigan fans should kind of be keeping their eyes on throughout the early part of the season? Sure. So with the quarterbacks, you got Noah Kim, who's a redshirt junior. He's the last quarterback signed by Mark D'Antonio's class, uh, was once committed to Virginia Tech, kind of a lightly recruited guy. And, uh, you know, they scooped him up late in that 2020 cycle uh, before Antonio left. And so anyway, uh, he's got a winner's pedigree. I mean, I think he lost two games as a starter in high school um, in Virginia, played some solid competition down there. Uh, we just haven't seen a ton of him, though. He's got a slighter build. He's about he's listed about 185. I think that's, you know, probably on his best day. Um, so he's just he's a little more thin. But they say he's one of the 20 fastest kids on the team, regardless of position or anything, which, you know, if that's true. That's really interesting, that, and, and you keep hearing a lot about his mobility. And I, look, I don't think he's going to be um, Denard Robinson out there or something like that, like that type of threat. But I think he could give him a little more of that element. Just, to, to just it's, it'll be in the bag. I don't think it'll be something that he's pushing. You know, I don't. I, I'd be stunned if he even had a hundred yard rushing game. Like, I don't want folks to get it twisted, but it'll be an element where third and long things break down. He slips out. You know, that might be there. Um, he knows the system, I think, better. I think they trust him a little bit more at the line of scrimmage right now to make the reads and checks and whatnot because he's simply because he's been in the system longer. So that's kind of the, the situation with him. I think, you know, you go back to Peyton Thorne winning the job. They brought in uh, Anthony Russo, a transfer from Temple that offseason, and he had like 26 career starts to his name, like 4,000 yards under his belt or something. And Peyton Thorne won the job because he was more careful with the ball and and just made this, the risk-averse, you know, sort of smart, heady, heady decisions so that sort of tells you what the staff values at that position. I think right now, that's why I lean toward Kim getting that first snap. Now, I don't know whether how the position is going to play out, but I think uh, he gives the – I think they're just more comfortable with him and they trust him to sort of make the right calls and and just, uh, you know, be a low-risk type of guy. And then Kate Hauser is a former Elite 11 kid, former four-star kid. 
Um, they flipped from Boise State, and then his profile as a recruit really just sort of skyrocketed. As I said, went to the Elite 11, showed out really well there, and, and blew up through our rankings and everything. And he's the first, like, big-time QB this, this staff has signed. So people have been clamoring for him and wanting to see him. What you hear about him is just – you know, uh, even Jay Johnson, the offensive coordinator, said like freaky arm talent. You know, so the raw ability I think is is no question in his corner. But does he have the seasoning within the system? Um, I know they wanted him to be a better leader and, and really take command of the unit as a whole. So I think that's something he's had to work on. But just in terms of throwing the ball and just those pretty wow plays, I think that's him. You know, and he's got more of the prototypical build, about six three, uh, two ten, something like that. So there's a little more to him physically. That's kind of that breakdown. Uh, the Skill guys, Trey Mosley is a, is a guy folks probably will remember, and he's just been like the steadiest, most reliable. You know, he, he's really like a textbook number two, I think. You know, he runs good routes, he gets open, he catches the ball, he goes down, move the chains first down. But he's not like catch the ball, shake a guy, outrun your whole defense, you know, sizzle type of play. I, I just I don't think he has that explosive sort of element to his game. And so he's going to be looked at a lot to, to sort of – not carry that group, but he's definitely now the number one target, the most experienced player on the perimeter. And so he, he'll, he'll have a good share of balls coming his way, but it's just in there. Is there anything more than, like I said, you know, catch tackle next play? Can he, can he add a little more, a little more sizzle on top of that? Other than that, it's a lot of new names coming in at receiver that we're going to have to see emerge. And then the other name I should definitely mention uh, just for your listeners is Nathan Carter, um, who actually I believe played against Michigan when he was at UConn, a transfer from UConn, and look, I hesitate to even, but you're you hear, we're hearing similar things about Nathan Carter than we as we heard about Kenneth Walker at this stage. Now, I want to be crystal clear. I don't think he's going to be Kenneth Walker. I don't think he's going to have that impact right away. That type of impact. I think he'll be a good player for them. But and so when I say that, I mean he came in started turning heads right away in the weight room and just destroyed the weight room in the winter apparently. And then spring ball came and they see him on the field and everybody's going, wow, look at this guy, you know, and then same thing in fall camp. It's like when when Kenneth was here, you know, you heard some defense, defensive players going, is this guy really good or are we really bad? Because nobody <laughs> can tackle him in practice. I don't think it's quite there, but it's clear that he's really impressing behind the scenes and, and doing a lot of good stuff. So I think there's other parts of their run operation, talking offensive line, talking tight ends as well, um, that, that need to get better. But just from a talent standpoint at running back, um, he's going to, He's going to be their lead dog, I think, and and they have high expectations for him. So he's definitely a name to know. Yeah, I certainly remember uh, doing the behind enemy lines last year. The the UConn beat writer who I spoke to talking up Nathan Carter, and he had a couple nice runs in that Michigan game. Uh, a guy that looking forward to seeing him, you know, behind a a more competitive offensive line than than the one he had last year. Uh, at the big house early on in that season. Uh, last one for you, Stephen. I know it's a short week. Uh, I guess, I mean, it's been a long off season, but it's a, it's a Friday game opening up the season against Central Michigan. If I, I guess you from a beat writer perspective, but then if you're Michigan State, you know, what are the sort of things you want to be seeing uh, against the Chippewas? You know, it's year four of Mel Tucker. It's a, lo- a lot of question marks. Like you said, what are some things you're really going to be looking for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's easy to say, but I think it's true. I mean, you you want to see them have their way with Central. You know, you want to see you want to you want it to look like a Big Ten team against a MAC team. With all due respect, you know, I know the MAC turns out some good players and they have good teams from time to time. But you want to see domination, quite honestly. You know, I think in situations like these, um, I've been saying no news is good news because if they go out there and win sixty to nothing, I don't think that that proves Michigan State's good. 
But if they go out there and struggle, you know, and have to and have to pull away in the fourth quarter, I think you can take stuff from that and say, whoa, maybe there's some red flags here. You know, so I don't think we're going to learn whether they're legit or whether this is this or that is solved. But you can see problems and red flags. So no news is good news in that front in terms of just you want to see them dominate um, specifically along both lines of scrimmage. Uh, and specifically, I would say on offense, if they would, if they can go out there and rush for a good 200 plus or something, and they're running the ball at will, even if it's fake confidence against a central, whatever. And look, central brings back a lot of their defense from a year ago. But you just want to see them bully people at the line of scrimmage, um, especially on offense, because that's not something they've really done um, consistently. This program, you know, in a while. Defensively, they've been there. They dropped off last year. They got an influx of, of bigger bodies on the D-line. They're very, very, very high on their D-line, specifically as it pertains to stopping the run. So I think we will see that. But I think everybody would be happy if they're just creasing them up and running the ball at will and putting up points uh, in the process that way because the run game needs to be better if they're going to maximize whatever they are this year. And, you know, I still think that's around a 500 team, you know, give or take. Look, this is not going to be a sneaky Big Ten contender. But for folks to come out of the year happy and for them to approach – whatever success looks like for this team, they're going to have to run the ball better. So if you can't do that, as I said, that's going to be a red flag against Central. But if you can, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to run it on everybody, but it's what you want to see in this first game. Well, it's finally that time of the year where all the offseason talk gets proven one way or the other on the football field. Steven, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to follow him and follow his work, of course, you can do so over at 24-7 Sports, over at Spartan Tailgate. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's at Stephen M underscore Brooks. Stephen, we'll talk to you next week. Let's take a look at the Buckeyes. Very excited to have with me today and hopefully every week throughout the season, Patrick Murphy. Uh, Patrick covers Ohio State for Bucknets, our 24-7 sports affiliate. Patrick, let's let's dive right in, right? Last year, Ohio State went 11-2, started the year like world beaters, but ended on a two-game losing streak. Uh, lost at home, obviously, to Michigan at the Horseshoe. Then still made the college football playoff and really won Noah Ruggles kick away from making the national championship, potentially even winning the national championship. So from the outside, seems like it might have been a bit of a, a weird offseason, right? If this were any program, 11-2 college football playoff appearance, it's a great season. But when you're Ohio State, the expectations maybe are a bit different. Uh, and of course, losing to Michigan two years in a row, not, not acceptable. For, for either program, really. Uh, so, so Patrick, from your perspective, what has this offseason been like? Is it uh, we need to rebuild this program, or is it uh, we're on the right path? One of these years, it's going to hit like it has in the past. I think they think they're on uh, the right path. Obviously, as you mentioned, the, the end of last season left a bad taste in um, not only the, the players and coaches, but fans' mouths. Um, so there, you know, there's been use of that as motivation this offseason. I think it would have been very weird, as you mentioned, losing to Michigan and then going on if they would have won that game and, and maybe even won the national championship, how people would have looked at that season. Because, as you said, losing to Michigan for a second straight year, not acceptable in Columbus. But if you do go on to win a national championship, how does that change things? Uh, it's a dynamic we may have to get used to in the future with with the way college football is changing. But look, Ohio State, obviously, and I know we'll get into some of the, the decisions they have to make this offseason. But it was an offseason of transition for uh, certain certain key positions, 
And yeah, I think they think that they're, you know, the defense will continue to improve in a second year under Jim Knowles. So that's been a big topic of conversation throughout, obviously the quarterback, but they like where they are coming into this year. Um, you know, it's the, the word that Ryan Day has used over and over again throughout the offseason when talking about the team in general is just competition or competing. Uh, that's been stressed from the time they took the or, you know, went back to work, so to speak, in, in the winter. And then when they took the field in spring practice and, and kind of throughout the offseason, everything is a competition. And so they want to keep that mantra up throughout the year. And and it was pointed out by one of the players after kind of not a not a great practice during fall camp that, you know, that the first game isn't against Michigan. You can't win that game and, and kind of get over the, the losses the last two years. They have to focus on each game each week, and, and he kind of laid into the guys because it wasn't a great practice. But I think that's kind of important to to note too. Like we're we're twelve weeks away from that game, right? And while you and I are going to talk about it throughout the year, this team has to get to where it needs to be before they get to that game, or else that game has less significance at the end of the season. So the the competition and continue competing is is something that's been really stressed. Oh. One of those competitions, of course, you're not the only one talking about it. It's the whole country basically is talking about it is that quarterback competition, right? Yep. And it's, you know, Michigan fans certainly are no strangers to a head coach not naming a starter until literally the morning of the game. Last year, of course, Michigan went into the season uh, with with two quarterbacks and ended up using its non-conference schedule to figure that out. Uh, so replacing CJ Stroud, it's Kyle McCord seemed like was the favorite heading into fall camp. Devin Brown sounds like he's had a good camp too. How do you see that playing out? Do you think it's something that might take till the Notre Dame game a couple weeks away to, to figure out who that number one guy is? I think it could. Uh, and this is not what anyone expected. I think most people expected a guy to be named and, and, you know, I'd heard rumblings that they were hoping to do it after one of the, the two scrimmages they had. Uh, but it's as Ryan Day has said, you use the term neck and neck, back and forth, whatever you, you want to do. I think he used the analogy most recently about like a horse race. You know, one one guy started to pull away and they thought they were going to name a starter. And then you know, he doesn't have the best practice and the other guy does. And, and so it's just kind of come back and forth. Um, and, and I genuinely believe Ryan Day when he says that they believe that either guy could start. They just neither has separated enough to name a starter. So it would not surprise me if Ohio State goes into the season very similarly to, to what you mentioned with Michigan last year and use this period. Now they do open with a Big Ten game against Indiana on the road, uh, but that's an Indiana team that I think they are pretty confident they can handle business against and you know no slight to Indiana I just they haven't beaten the Buckeyes since 1989 or 1988 and uh you know they, they haven't always been close games look both of these kids are talented and should be able to to win these games I do think you mentioned that Notre Dame game that to me would make sense to okay now we've got three games of seeing both guys both guys have gotten game action we we now have that to add to everything that happened in the off season. And then, then maybe that kind of seals the competition. Now, one thing I've pointed out is Ryan, Day didn't say they for sure would play both quarterbacks against Indiana. He said that they could, um, you know, last Monday. So with, with a week still of off season and then another week of game prep. Uh, so there's, it's possible that it, we meet with Ryan day on Tuesday and he says, Hey, you know, Kyle McCord's pulled away or Devin Brown's pulled away and, and we're going to name him the starter. I don't think that'll happen, even if there has been separation. Why, you know, why put that out there at this point? But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will go with the two quarterbacks 
throughout these first three games. But yes, the, the Notre Dame game seems like that natural place. If they do play both early on, and, and I, I think you might as well at least get them both experienced, that seems like the time when you know and you, you have a guy, and even if you don't name it, maybe you make Notre Dame prepare for both um, that whole week, and then one guy ends up taking the vast majority of the snaps. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I do think the Michigan situation last year is a pretty good comparison to, to how it might play out. Now, you mentioned that Indiana game that's coming up. Uh, it is yeah, unique, at, at least from a Michigan perspective. Michigan, I don't believe, has started a season other than the COVID season with a Big Ten opponent. But but Ohio State does go on the road. It's a road game at Indiana. And uh, as you mentioned, Indiana's not a program you expect to make a ton of noise this year. But it's still a road environment in a conference game. If you're Ohio State, Patrick, what, what are the sort of things, or, or even you from a media perspective, what are the sort of players you're going to be watching this weekend what are some of the questions you're hoping to have answered after week one uh, of real live football yeah the quarterback is obviously one but we you know I've just touched on that the offensive line is certainly going to be something to keep an eye on Ohio State had to replace three starters from last year's group they've changed the way that, that they were lining up they started fall camp with guys in certain positions they moved guys around it sounds like they're happy with with the combination they've found, which would be uh, Josh Simmons, who transferred from San Diego State at left tackle, Donovan Jackson returning at left guard. Um, a new center is is probably going to be Carson Hinsman, the sophomore, Matthew Jones at right guard, who's a returning starter, and then Josh Simmons or Josh Fryer, excuse me, who was playing at left tackle throughout most of the offseason at right tackle. Uh, that is what most people I think believe will be the starting group, and I think there's been more and more confidence built in that unit to uh to you know get the job done they certainly wanted to add a tackle in the offseason they tried to do it before spring practice didn't land any guys so josh simmons who uh justin fry who's the offensive line coach recruited when he was at ucla ended up being the guy they added after spring practice and so it's it's just kind of been mixing matching seeing what you can do with with the best five um freshman luke montgomery is in the mix as well which was a bit of a surprise this fall camp, but by all accounts, he's had a really good mix. So the offensive line certainly something I'm going to take, be taking a look at. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Sonny Styles was a five-star kid who reclassified in uh, the 2022 class. Didn't play a ton last year, but is going to be their st- one of their starting safeties. He's a guy everyone's really excited about. Um, you know, he's six four and just athletic freak. So what does he do that kind of can change the defense with with the ability to put him out there and move him around? He was going to be a part, of, a bigger part of the plan against Georgia uh, to match up with one of their tight ends, but that tight end got hurt early in the game, so Styles didn't play as much. So, without go, I mean, I could go through a whole whole long list here, but uh, those are probably just off the top of my head. Um, a couple people that I I will certainly be looking at in this first game. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for for giving us a bit of insight into the Ohio State Buckeyes. Looking forward to to talking next week after having some game film to you know, a game that we've watched for, for both programs. Uh, Patrick, if you want to follow him, of course you can follow him over at Bucknuts. That's ohiostate.247sports.com or on Twitter, X, whatever you call it. It's at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind Enemy Lines. Of course, we have plenty of Michigan football, Michigan ECU preview content over at the Michigan Insider. It's michigan.247sports.com. Really excited to do this podcast every week. It's it's a lot of fun for me to get different perspectives, both on the team that Michigan's about to face and on the rivalry games. That'll be so important down the line. So I hope you've enjoyed it as well. 
I'll see you at the big house. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.